Good evening, hello, and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast. Um, as you'll probably note, I have scrapped the uh, jingle that I um, that I usually put in front of the podcast. I've just decided it's not me, and uh, yeah, it's a bit um, a bit twee to be honest, um, and I'm and I'm getting a bit sick of it, so I've scrapped that. And we're just going to get down to the podcast now. Um, similar to my previous podcast today is Thursday evening Um, it is 5 minutes to 11 on Thursday evening and exactly like last podcast the reason that I'm doing it at this time of night is because I've just raced um, a crit this evening and uh, I am still uh, wide awake, off my head with adrenaline and probably the caffeine that I had prior to the race as well. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I am just going to crack on with another podcast and uh, get some stuff off my chest and talk another, about another subject area because it's a it's a wonderful time to um, to, to talk about these type of things. Um, first things first. Um, I'd like to express how excellent this week has gone and how proud I am of certain athletes and um, and how proud I am of myself actually as well. Um, sometimes you have to just take a little bit of reflection and uh, yeah appreciate appreciate some things that have happened now. Um, firstly, um, yesterday was Otley GP, uh, which is a local crit. Um, well, not so local to me, but it's a crit that um, goes around Otley Town Centre near Leeds, and a few of my athletes were racing it. Um, a few of the girls from RFDA, which had good performances, um, and also Amira Mella, she raced um, and got seventh in the the women's elite race. So, um, a fantastic result from Amira, who is effectively you know a cyclocross rider um who is also playing her hand in a load of road races she placed awesome at the national the other week um and then also you know can can recover quickly and also place well in otley so she's coming on really really well and uh, and finding form ready for um the 2021-22 cross season um this evening um we've also had um I've been racing a crit, uh, which is a local crit series, um, which is called the uh, Ennerdale Crits, um, the Cliff Pratt Decker Crit Series. <clears throat> um, this was round two, and um, f- there was a 3 4 race uh, before mine, uh, where one of my athletes, Joe Schillibeer, he got. Um, he basically soloed to victory. I think he went with something like eight laps to go, something like that. Um, picked his moment, went off the front, and yeah, time trialed it. Um, time trialed it to victory. Seriously strong rider. But the reason that I'm most proud of him is that he um, he's just had to have like two or three weeks off the bike um, because the last race that he did, he crashed out. Um, on a on a corner um so yeah he's he's had a couple of rides since then um trying to nurse an injury 
and then he's just gone into a race and smashed it so fair play to him it was then my race um, which was the the race to follow that the e12 race <clears throat> um same circuit and uh yeah the um the good results continue um i had a i i won that race um and had a fantastic result and to be honest um you know there'll be some of you listening to this podcast thinking oh it's only a local crit you know uh, blah 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 but um it does mean a lot to me and i think there's a lot to be said for taking uh, you know these these types of races seriously um for me in my lifestyle um especially being a new dad and um you know running my own business and so on and so forth um it is very difficult to devote the time and the attention to um to a crit series like that or to a to a race performance like that and although there's potentially um bigger fish to fry with regards to bigger events and more important events that i could be doing and should be doing um i think um you know it's very important to give full attention to any race that you go into and don't be very lax about um about the the field of racing or the um seriousness of a race um and and yeah i'm going into every race that i do wanting to give the best performance i can and the thing with these races is that i know for sure i'm going against i'm racing against other people who um on paper are better stronger faster more powerful riders than i am and even with that in mind to say that i'm able to uh, win a race against them it, it's such a fantastic feeling and um full honesty my goal this year with everything that's been going on was to win one of these crits and i've just done it on round two of this series and we've got uh eight six eight rounds left so it's put a massive smile on my face and um it meant a lot when i crossed the finish line like it really did um you know it felt fantastic um now the the honest truth is like you know um again i'll reiterate a lot of stronger riders um were were, were racing against me this today and i ended up beat them and uh it, it's just shows the importance of how you play a race because um and it's something that i've been learning over time over the past few years is is how to play my cards right i guess and this year especially when you're going into a race not as fit as some of the riders you've got to be even more savvy with how you play your cards because i've got less matches to burn and uh, if i burn all those matches by going um, by responding to the wrong moves or following the wrong wheels or um, attacking when I shouldn't um, then ultimately I'm not going to be there at the finish now <clears throat> one thing that I know I've got a fairly good um, 
performance on is sprinting and luckily for me yeah it came down to a sprint at the end of the of the race tonight um i had a fantastic lead out from one of my teammates which was to be honest it was completely unplanned um we came round to take the last lap bell and i was right in the mid pack and getting a bit boxed in um but i swung to the outside um and as I did that, I saw my teammate come round on the right-hand side of me. Um, and I saw him starting to ramp it up. So basically, I just uh, followed his his big kick. And as he kicked, he got maybe four or five bike lengths on everyone. I followed his move. Um, and for those who don't know um, Ennerdale track, we were doing it anti-clockwise. And uh, the finish line is about... 50 meters after a pretty tight left-hand turn so when you're running it this way around you've kind of got to be either first or second wheel into um into that last corner um i followed this move going into that last corner uh the straight beforehand and um I was like, right, well, if I don't go now, I think I'm going to get swamped. So I just kicked hard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, it was a it was a big, big, big last effort for about what was probably about 20 second effort. Um, but uh, yeah, I managed to hold off and, and win that crit. And like I say, this, the feeling was was in, was incredible. Um, but it's just nice to know that I can, you know, I can still finish a race well, even with my my training being compromised this year um so yeah so really happy about that um today's podcast is the first of a three-part mini-series which is called time to perform now time to perform is going to be all about um short-term performance so let's picture you've done all of your um uh, winter training you've done a bit of pre-season training you know you've been smashing turbo sessions you've been putting the miles in you've been putting some weight training in um all things that we've talked about in this podcast before um you know you, you've kind of drilled down on your nutrition and you might be happy with your kind of race weight or there or thereabouts and yeah you're in the thick of the season now obviously this is very timely because um, we are in the thick of the season right now. Um, <clears throat> it's, um, you know, for, for most of you listening to this podcast, you'll have already done some races. Um, and if not, you'll have got some races on the calendar in the next month or so. Um, some of you that are listening to this podcast won't have raced at all this year and don't have an, in, an intention of riding, sorry, racing this year. But um, but hopefully it will give you a good insight into um, things to consider with regards to racing performance um, in the short term. So what this podcast, these this mini mini series isn't, sorry, is um, anything to do with you know uh, preparing for long term performance. It's all about the here and the now. Um, so it's a three part series, and the first part of this series is to do with nutrition. So what to eat um what the timing of that eating should be uh, foods to avoid foods that you should be consuming and how to manipulate um these different uh food groups around performance to get the most out of you possible 
um, and also recover the best you can as well. Now, because this is quite a lengthy topic, um, I'm also going to be segmenting this into different timing protocols. Now, specifically, this podcast is to do with evening racing. So the title of this podcast will be Fueling Evening Races. So when I say evening races, I mean just like I've just done tonight. So let's say you've got a, a crit and it's the crit is at 7 p.m. Again, it's very timely because we've had Otley crit, we've got Ilkley crit coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, wherever you live, you might have a local crit series which which is on on an evening. Um, again, like the, the crit that I've just done this evening, the start time of that crit was at 7.15pm. Um, and not only crit series, but there's a lot of you that will be listening which are testers, time trialers. And notoriously midweek time trials because everyone is at work during the day it's on an evening um now personally i love evening races i absolutely love evening races i thrive on them um a few different reasons really uh first of all it doesn't take up a whole day <laughs> you know if you've got a race on a sunday um and it's at whatever it is 10 o'clock in the morning or midday by the time you've traveled there done your warm-up whatever um done the race and come home pretty knackered you know it, it's most of the day is swallowed up if you've got an evening race at 7 p.m um you can do a full day of work or you can do whatever you need to do with your day and still race and come back and yes your sleep might be a bit compromised like it will be for me tonight but ultimately um you know you've still got the full day left the other thing that i like about evening races is just the sensation involved with it i personally race a lot better in an evening um i'm a lot more hyped up um and and my performance is t typically a bit higher in an evening than it is in a morning um although i am quote unquote a morning person like i work better and my mind is more stimulated in the morning my my sensation in the legs and and my general performance is higher on an evening not the same for everybody um but physiologically most people do actually perform better in an evening so um things like um blood uh, blood pressure is higher in an evening than it is in a morning um circulating carbohydrate stores glycogen utilization is is um is higher in an evening than it is a morning so you can mop up uh, carbohydrates and utilize that a lot more effectively typically um so yeah generally speaking the sensation is a little bit better but uh but yeah this this podcast is about fueling evening races now again a lot of the the things that i'm going to talk about this evening is actually going to relate back straight into what i did today because um because obviously what I'm not going to do is just say, oh yeah, it worked for me, so it'll work for you. But equally, there's some traits and some um, some things that I did in my day-to-day -day which are like standard practice for me and standard practice in terms of uh, general methodology, what you'll find in the research papers, what you'll find online and things that would, you know, a kind of go-to methods of fueling evening races. 
So, for the purpose of this podcast um, <clears throat> and the purpose of this example, let's say your evening race starts at 7 p.m. Now, knowing this timeline, and the, and the first thing that I'll say, and, and this goes for whatever time your race starts, whether it's the morning or the evening or midday, you always, always need to make sure you have a timeline in your head. Now, I say, I tell this to a lot of my clients. If you don't either mentally or physically write down a timeline for things like when your race starts, when you should start a warm-up, when you should eat this, when you should eat that, you're already on the back foot. Um, every single race that I do, I have a little notepad, or I, I actually use my phone, uh, the notes on my my iPhone, and I open up a new note and I put what the race time is. So, in fact, what I'm going to do right now while I'm on the podcast is I'm going to open my phone notes and I'm going to go to where are we? Uh, I'm going to go to what was um, this evening's notes on on what I should be evening. So. It started with um, right at the at the end. The finish is what time I started the race. What's time I start the race? So for me to this evening, it was seven fifteen p.m. Before that, um, obviously, is the time I finish my warm up. Before that is the time I start my warm up. Before that is the time I arrive at the event. Before that is the time I set off to the event. And before that is the time of my last meal. Now, that's a fairly simple version because for me, I know um, there's a lot of other things going on that I know I do, um, you know, without even thinking about them. Like, for example, I know that I'm having an, an energy gel just before the race, but we'll come into that. But you can be as precise as you like. Um, creating that little timeline with timestamps and then next to that timestamp what you do at that time is critical now I appreciate before you listen to this podcast you might not know what are at that those timestamps but hopefully I'm going to shed a little bit of light on that after I take a sip of my drink so your race is at 7 p.m. Now, the first thing that we need to consider is um, after we've realized what time the race is, is is the duration of the race. Um, now, <clears throat> I'm going to assume that you listeners know the basics about um, nutrition and physiology. And by basics, I mean, so most of you listeners will know that carbohydrates is the primary fuel source for um, uh, aerobic metabolism so basically it's the primary fuel source to divide to give us energy when we're performing um, an activity such as cycling or running um, so when i say carbs i mean carbohydrates so things like uh, pasta rice um, you know uh, bread things like that um, fruit. When I say protein, I may I mean things like chicken, uh, beef, uh, protein shakes, unless unless said otherwise. Um, 
and um, and when I say fat, it's things like avocados, olive oil, um, uh, nut butter, peanuts, whatever it might be. Um, now that's the that's the basics behind what I'm going to assume you already know. So kind of general macronutrients. Um, <clears throat> now the other thing you need to kind of understand here as well before we go into it is that um the longer an event the more total calories and the more total carbohydrates you'll need to fuel that performance so it's fairly um obvious to say that if you were to do a 20 minute time trial you will need to have a lot less total carbohydrates in the system or feeding during the ride compared to if you were to do a three or four hour road race um, because the longer that you're doing this event for the more uh, fuel fuel you'll need on on board um, <clears throat> now one of the assumptions for this podcast specifically is that evening races are typically shorter races because of the nature of how much time we've got before it gets dark so evening races are typically no longer than an hour because it's either going to be a 10 mile time trial or 25 mile time trial which is either 20 minutes half an hour up to an hour <clears throat> or it's going to be um a town center crit or or you know a crit race which is typically 45 minutes to an hour now the beauty of that duration is that to be honest you don't actually need that much stored carbohydrates over the you know the days to go into the event or the day of the event because the truth is um if you've got enough a little bit of circulating carbohydrates in the bloodstream and in the muscle which you naturally will have from eating a variety of different foods then you will have enough fuel on board to fuel that event without quote-unquote bonking you know it's very unusual to see anybody absolutely have sin gas in a in a 45 minute crit due to under fueling that being said <clears throat> what you do need to do is make sure that you're not at a severe calorie deficit and also make sure that you have got some circulating carbohydrates in the system. So the the first two things that I'm going to say you absolutely shouldn't do on these days when you're racing on evening is specifically don't eat enough before the, the session. So for example, uh, it sounds fairly obvious, you wouldn't eat like, uh, you know, a very, very low calorie diet or very very low carbohydrate diet on these days but equally you know as long as you're eating fairly normal and as long as you're including some carbohydrates throughout the day um, then you should be okay and you should be able to you know get through that event without depleting energy stores <clears throat> having said all that there's certain things that you can do and shouldn't do which will either help performance or hinder performance so there's certain things um, that you shouldn't do first of all 
Um, <clears throat> you should, I would really stay away from anything basically, which is going to cause GI distress. So gastrointestinal dis uh, distress or gut, gut stress. Now, things that are going to cause gut stress are very individual, but generally speaking, it's anything that's going to uh, take a long time to digest. So the day of the event, I would always stay away from any kind of red meat um, because red meat can take up to two days, three days sometimes to fully get out of the system. Um, so stay away from like beef, um, stay away from, uh, you know, uh, you know, things like, um, steak, mince. Um, <clears throat> I remember a bit of a, a story, actually, I, I remember doing a cyclocross race with one of my, one of my clients. Um, and my client was fitter than I am. He was faster than I am. He should have absolutely smoked me, but I ended up beating him in this race and I stopped and uh, had a chat with him after the race and said, you know, what's up? What, you know, what, how come your performance was down? Um, you know, you should be smoking me. And, uh, he just said, oh, I've got real, real bad stomach cramps, real bad guts. Um, you know, I had, I had real, I felt sick the whole time and my, I had a stitch and I was like, oh, that's bizarre. And naturally as a coach, obviously I'm looking for answers. I said some, I just said simply, oh, what, what have you eaten recently? Can you think of anything you've eaten? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Just eating the normal. I've just had spag bowl about an hour ago. <laughs> and uh, I mean, to be honest, like, you know, if I was to have spag bowl at lunch and then race at 7 p.m., I would still feel it because it, red meat sits very heavy and red meat takes so long to digest. But this guy had had his spag bowl at 6 p.m. and then raced at 7 p.m. Take a drink. So, um, so yeah, so don't have red meat the day of a race. Um, the other thing I would stay away from is, um, anything that's very, very high in fiber. Now, obviously from a health perspective, fiber is great for our diet. Um, it's, um, it binds foods together and, and it generally lowers our, uh, blood glucose levels and, for day-to-day -day living, you know, plenty of fiber in your diet is a good thing. But on race day, we want things to kind of get through the digestive system very easily without much stress. And fiber is doing the opposite to that. Fiber is slowing things down and fiber is um, uh, making things difficult for our gut to, to, to pass through. So basically uh, foods that are high in fiber are things like nuts um vegetables um obviously some vegetables are higher in fiber than others um certain fruit is is very high in fiber um but but adopting a fairly low fiber diet on race day is is generally recommended um so basically it means that your diet on a race day should be fairly bland <laughs> um but again it's all within reason um and these things that i'm discussing right now you know these should be getting um progressive throughout the day and i'll come to some examples very shortly but you know for example your breakfast on race day could actually have a fair amount of fiber in because it's still going to be seven eight nine ten ten eleven hours before the race 
as opposed to you know your last meal of the day at which might be 4 or 5 p.m that should be very low fiber um, because you don't want that fiber in the gut while you're racing um, and this is all down to you know the, the rate of, of which foods can digest and pass through the system um, aside from those two things so high uh, yeah red, red meat and and high fiber you're going to be okay in terms of uh, you know staying away from foods there's nothing else that i'm like oh yeah definitely stay away from that um the only thing other thing that i would specifically try and kind of avoid too much of is too much fat on race day um but again this is just more so as you get very close to the event itself so you could have like a high fairly high fat breakfast for example even potentially a fairly high fat lunch but that meal just before the race a few hours before the race should be fairly low in fat um things that you should eat or should specifically be looking to eat is generally speaking you should try and adopt a fairly high carbohydrate day um again like i say you can't really go too wrong here it's not like i'm saying oh yeah breakfast should be porridge lunch should be pasta pre-race meal should be rice and and not having any protein that would be absolutely the wrong thing to do but what you should be mindful of is that every meal i would recommend a little bit of carbohydrate in every meal which progressively increases the carbohydrates as you get closer to the event um let's go into examples before we before time runs before before time runs out um <clears throat> okay first of all i'm going to give today's example the crit that i did today um what did i eat today in order to uh, do well in my performance because to be honest um as much as you know this evening's race performance was uh elevated i mean you know i i, I won tonight, tonight's race because i raced well but equally i did feel really good i had good legs um i felt appropriately fueled i felt um physically and mentally on it and my gut was happy and there's a big 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 relationship between gut health and and racing performance bigger than you might expect actually um you want to go into the race feeling fueled but not hungry sorry i said that wrong you should feel fueled empty but not hungry <laughs> and that getting that balance right is very difficult you never want to be going into a race feeling full you never want to be going into a race feeling really hungry and starving um and you never want to be going into a race feeling bloated or gassy because bloating and gas is a negative sensation that is your body telling you tom there's something wrong here i'm trying to get rid of this you know um so if you're farting away on race day or if you're feeling like your gut's real bloated then then yeah it's, it's generally a negative uh, a negative sensation it's it's your body telling you there's something wrong um and realistically you need to find out what that is um and make some changes to next time everybody's different and and i'm going to give you this example of what i ate today but for you that might not be the the case you know and i'm not just talking here about 
Um, I'm not just talking about the differences in, um, what's it called? Um, not allergies. Uh, oh no, what's the word? Intolerances. I'm not just talking about one uh, different intolerances such as lactose intolerant and, and whatnot um, or different specific diets, but I'm talking about like there's certain foods which I'll eat which just sit well for me, but they might not sit well for you. Um, and, and there's also a lot of personal preferences as well. There's a lot of things which, um, you know, I like to eat and I enjoy eating, but you might not. The other thing that I'd like you to consider is that um, I work for myself. I um, manage my own diary. And thus, it does give me a fair amount of flexibility in terms of um, exactly the timing of which I can eat. I appreciate that some of you listen to this podcast, if you've got a seven o'clock race and I'm telling you to eat at whatever, four o'clock, you might not have finished work till five o'clock and you can't eat at four o'clock, but it's something that I'd like you to consider. And if you have got flexibility to eat at these times that I'm telling you to do or eat the types of foods that I'm telling you to maybe try, um, if you can intertwine this into your day, then, you know, give it a, give it a try and, and, and see what happens. Um, <clears throat> so today's example, um, like I say, my, my race, let's say it was at 7 p.m. It was at 7.15, but uh, it's tit for tat. It's similar kind of protocol. So... Um, I woke up, standard wake up time for me at six o'clock. Um, now me as an individual, I don't have a huge appetite when I first wake up. Um, I used to do as a young lad when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, I used to be absolutely ravenous as soon as I woke up. But, um, nowadays I, I'm not as, um, I'm not as hungry when I first wake. So I wake up at six, I go downstairs. I always, always have um, at least a full pint of water when I first wake up. It's actually, I actually go to bed with a pint of water next to my bed. Um, and usually I wake up for a piss maybe halfway through the night and I'll drink at least half of that. I'll finish the, the rest of that when I first wake up. And then I'll go and have another pint of water straight off. So sometimes I'll have drunken a pint and a half, two pints within half an hour of waking. Um, I'll brush my teeth. I'll answer a few emails. And then I'll just sit there with a black coffee um, going through a little bit of work. Now, um, <clears throat> this morning, and I'm not going to talk about the training side of it too much today. But this morning was actually different to normal. So uh, this morning I actually went to the gym and lifted. Uh, I, I, did a, I did a gym session this morning and I trained um, legs quite heavy today. Um, now again, it's on a, it'll be, it'll, I'll talk about it on a different podcast in terms of doubling up. Um, and I think someone actually asked a question about it later. So I'll talk about it a bit later, but um, in my example today, I did a gym session first thing in the morning, fasted just on a black coffee. Now, after that gym session, um, and this is something to consider if you ever do double up, you need to 
you need to kind of um, capitalize on the body's ability to digest and assimilate carbohydrates more effectively post session. Um, that was a bit of a tongue twister there, but essentially there's there's many different changes in our body um, over during exercise, which mean that when we finish exercise, we our bodies are a bit more like a sponge. So when we feed carbohydrates directly post session, that carbohydrates can get shunted into where it needs to be, into the muscle, into the cells, a lot more effectively. And we can we can um, actually uh, ha take up a lot um, bigger rate of carbohydrates more effectively directly post session than if you were to have those same carbohydrates um, straight off a non train non training. Uh, day um so for my example this morning i did that morning gym session completely fasted and um following that session i was very hungry um i'd been up since six and it was um half eight sorry it was eight o'clock now i got home and um i specifically had a big bowl of carbohydrates directly post-session specifically i had a hundred grams of rice krispies with um, oat milk and a scoop of whey protein so i made basically a, a vanilla whey protein shake which had uh, 25 grams of protein in there i made that protein shake with oat milk um, not because I'm lactose intolerant, just because I have a preference to oat milk. Um, and then I poured that vanilla protein shake over 100 grams of Rice Krispies. Now, for those who have Rice Krispies, you will know that 100 grams of Rice Krispies is friggin' massive bowl. <laughs> um, but the reason for that is because that gave me the appropriate amount of carbohydrates, the appropriate amount of protein, and the appropriate amount of overall calories to... Um, to feed that post uh, post training session and and to shunt those carbohydrates into the muscle and i know that that works for me now why rice krispies you ask why not porridge because rice krispies is very very easy to digest um rice krispies hits the spot to be honest it it's one of the it's funny i've never been one for cereals really until the last few years um and the only cereals i really have are, are rice krispies um and the the macronutrient profile of rice krispies is absolutely spot on directly pre or post session because it's so easily digestible um and um I've talked about it before in the podcast, but you know you'll have a bowl of rice krispies, and then within within two hours you're hungry again. And for people on a diet, that's not good news. But for people who are trying to feed performance and feed their body, it's absolutely spot on. So I had that big bowl of carbohydrates. Now, um, if I hadn't tra trained that day in the morning what i probably would have done is actually have a fairly low carbohydrate breakfast something that was fairly high in fat and protein but a bit lower on carbs so for example something like an omelet but like i say 
I was taking advantage of that post-exercise window for shunting carbohydrates into the muscle. So um, just to go back to that, um, there is um, a, a glucose transporter um, which is critical for skeletal muscle glucose uptake. Um, and this is in response to insulin and muscle contraction or, or exercise. So this um, glucose, con glucose transporter is called GLUT4. So if you Google GLUT4, GLUT4 so G-U, uh, sorry, G-L-U-T4, um, this is um, this is that glucose transporter I'm talking about, and basically that is upregulated directly post exercise. Um, so it, it makes sense if you have trained in the morning to specifically have a bigger proportion of carbohydrates um, after that session. And to be honest, this goes with all training whether you're training double day or not specifically if you shunt must shunt carbohydrates post session it's great for recovery um and uh, and yeah to get the most out of the session now like i say if i wasn't training in the morning um you know and and today was unusual for me i don't always double day on a, on a race day when i've got a crit in the evening um if you don't train in the morning, then yeah, you can go for a fairly low carbohydrate breakfast. And the reason for that is you're going to be increasing carbohydrates throughout the rest of the day. So um, you don't need to shunt carbohydrates into the system too early in the day. You'll have probably had carbohydrates in the, in the meal the night before. So yeah, there's no urgency to get it in the morning. You might as well take advantage of your race still being 10, 11 hours away and actually focusing your meal a little bit more on my, micronutrients. So getting some good vegetables. So you could have something like um, a three egg omelette, for example, with some vegetables mixed in the omelette you know a, a mushroom and sweet potato omelette something like that um now for me going back to my example i trained fasted i had a big bowl of carbohydrates directly post session then it came to lunchtime around 12 one o'clock i was starting to get hungry you know using that hunger sensation um, for me personally, if I have a big bowl, sorry, a big carbohydrate meal at lunch, it typically makes me feel a bit drowsy in the afternoon. Now, this won't be the same for everybody, but it is a kind of a bit of a known thing, you know, a, a carb crash. If I was to have a big bowl of rice or a big bowl of pasta or whatever in a, in a lunchtime, 12 o'clock, I know personally that I don't um, work as efficiently with regards to the work I have to do um, in the afternoon. And I personally don't, um, <clears throat> you know, I start to get that afternoon slump. Now, <clears throat> this won't be the same for everyone, like I say, but if it's something that you've noticed when you have a high carbohydrate lunch, then it's something to consider. If you've had a high carbohydrate breakfast, and you're probably going to feed again before the um, before the race, closer to the race, which will be high carbohydrate. Then you don't necessarily need to be feeding carbs at lunch. If you've had a low carbohydrate breakfast, then it might be sensible to include a fair amount of carbohydrate in your lunch. Sip of the drink.
I get so croaky after um, after races. Um, I've essentially been blown out my ass for forty five minutes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, in my example, high carb breakfast. Um, I had a coffee like mid morning, and then lunchtime today I had a sweet potato with some tuna um, and a side salad basically like some rocket spinach uh, sun-dried tomatoes that type of thing so it was moderate fiber it was ticking off a good serving of protein from the tuna um, and moderate carbohydrates from a 200 gram sweet potato um, again if you've had a fairly low or moderate carbohydrate breakfast and you don't get a big carb slump from a, a lunchtime uh, feed then yeah have some carbs in your lunch you know what i would generally say though is it you don't need to be too critical with the amount of carbohydrates in your lunch so it's kind of the, the lunchtime meal is one of those things where you can't go too wrong so if you've got a bit of carbohydrates in it, great. If you've got a lot of carbohydrates in it, great, but be mindful of an afternoon slump. If you've got no carbohydrates in it, it's probably not going to be too detrimental to performance, but equally I would advise to have a little bit just to keep your glu um, circulating glucose levels up. Um, and you've got to remember as well that this is still potentially six, seven hours away from the performance. So you've still got plenty of time to start topping up carbohydrate stores. Again, the only thing I would definitely stay away from is any red meat or hard to digest foods. Lots and lots and lots of vegetables and salad kind of thing would probably not be the ideal thing to consume right now. Um, we could talk a little bit about performance enhancing foods. So you could introduce things like beetroot in your lunch to uh, provide a bit of a vasodilation effect um and increase blood flow um but again this is something that you need to be mindful of in that for example for me if i have too much beetroot it does set my gut off so you know yes you might get a one or two percent increase in in performance by by increased blood flow from beetroot but you might have a five ten percent decrease in performance if your gut is bloated and you're not, and you're feeling horrendous for the race so tread tread gently and don't and don't have lots of something that you've never eaten before um so that was your lunch um when it comes to so the next meal that you need to consider is going to be your last meal prior to the race so if your race is at 7 p.m and day to day, every day of the week when you're not racing, you have a normal tea at, let's say, 6 p.m. Obviously, and I'm hoping everyone will be nodding at me right now on the podcast, nodding your head, agreeing with me. Obviously, you're not going to have a normal tea, such as spag ball or chicken in wraps, whatever it might be, at your normal 6 o'clock evening meal time, because again i hope you agree that would be too close to the performance time it would still be in your stomach you'd still be digesting it and you'll likely throw up in the race <laughs> um 
think about it this way and this is how i like to explain it to people if there is any food in the gut which is still digesting then the 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 gut needs blood in order to digest food okay so when you're doing an all-out full gas crit or a time trial on an evening if you've got food in the gut trying to digest there will be a certain proportion of blood in the gut trying to digest this food and not in the working muscles trying to drive performance equally if the performance is very tough then that, that blood which is trying to digest that food will be pulled from the stomach to the extremities to try and cool you, to try and uh, provide um, to the working muscles, and that will cause GI distress. So you don't want anything in the stomach while you're racing. Um, that being said, though, uh, another wrong thing to do would be to have your lunch at 12, half 12, and then not eat anything until... Um, until the race because it, it would be advisable to have um, another meal b between those two um, timestamps. So for me as an example, I had my lunch, which wasn't too complex, uh, you know, that sweet potato, tuna and salad. And then at, um, what time did I eat it? I'm just thinking back. Four o'clock, so three hours 15 minutes before my race time i had really 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 simple 100 grams uncooked weight of white basmati rice um now i call it my mango sticky rice recipe and it's basically real simply um it's 100 grams of rice white basmati rice like i say which is cooked in coconut milk um and i mix some fresh mango with it and a couple of raisins and a little bit of desiccated coconut it sounds fancy but friggin' hell it's so tasty I t honestly it's something that i discovered when i was um where the friggin' hell was i was it bali i think it was on my honeymoon in um in indonesia i discovered it on um on a holiday once when someone cooked me up and as I, as I was eating it, I was just in heaven. It is so tasty. It's like really sweet white rice, which tastes like coconut, obviously. Um, but like some hints of mango in there and it's so nice. So the recipe real simply is like I say, you cook some white basmati rice in coconut milk for a normal time. Uh, you drain off the excess coconut milk let it cool a little bit and then you mix some uh, fresh mango in there not too much some desiccated coconut about a spoonful and a few raisins um mix it all together and honestly it's so friggin tasty I, I, it's so nice um it's like real sweet but from um from a performance perspective it gives me exactly what i need it gives me a, a nice proportion of carbohydrates um i think don't quote me on this. I should have researched it before. I'm pretty sure it gives me about um, 60 grams of carbohydrates from that uh, from that meal. Um, and but again, the beauty of it, because it's white rice, if you think about the glycemic load of white rice, it's really, really um, easy to digest. And again, that's three hours before my performance. 
after about an hour of eating that, I feel like it's already, you know, out the system. Um, I feel light on it and, it and it just it just hits the spot. There's not a need to take any protein in that meal. So I won't I, w I don't typically add any protein to that rice. Uh, like I wouldn't have chicken with it or anything like that. Just just plain rice. Um, obviously, you can play around with what that meal is, but it should always be prioritizing carbohydrates. Um, the week before, um, I had a slightly different meal just for convenience because I didn't have as much time to prepare my meal. The week before, I had another bowl. I had a bowl of um, Rice Krispies um because that's a similar kind of thing you know easy to digest simple carbohydrates but um yeah you can play around with exactly what that is you could even have for example something like a white bagel with some jam and some sliced banana on again similar kind of thing really easy to, easy to digest um and and gives you a fair amount of carbohydrates a few hours before the event one thing that i haven't mentioned for a while since directly waking and having having a drink uh, first thing after waking is is the need to stay hydrated during the day now the reason i haven't mentioned it is because for me it just comes naturally it's a given um i am naturally very good um or well trained at remembering to eat sorry to drink very very frequently and that's because i've got a very very um, high thirst sensation I'm, I'm like always thirsty basically um, if you are always thirsty and you drink regularly then realistically you've not got too much of a problem but um, but yeah if you if you're racing on an evening you need to be making sure like any race you're going into that evening race as in a in a in a well hydrated state so that your urine is crystal clear crystal clear or um just slightly off clear if it's not you're already on the back foot um so yeah you've had that last meal or last proper substantial meal um which is about three hours before um now that last meal even if you had fairly low carbohydrate fueling throughout the entirety of the rest of the day um prior to that meal that last meal as long as it's got you know 50 ish 60 grams of carbs in it you know like some of those examples i gave that will probably still be a, a, sufficient enough to give you enough carbohydrates to fuel these short performances um but again um there is research to suggest that having something like a gel or um some uh, you know um carbohydrate mix in your drink directly pre-session will um in the short term elevate blood glucose levels and increase performance again by a little bit um it's kind of a fail safe as well i guess just to make sure that you're topped up um so again, my example, I had that um, mango sticky rice at uh, half three, uh, four o'clock, which was three hours, three hours 15 before my race. Now, 
I started my warm-up pro protocol, sorry, looking back at my notes, I started my warm-up protocol at 6.40. So that is 35 minutes before my race. And I was doing a 20-minute warm-up. While I was doing that 20-minute warm-up on the rollers, I had a bottle in my, on my bike which had um, about 300, 400 mil of fluid on it, uh, in it, sorry, which that fluid contained um, about 20 grams of carbohydrates um, as well as a like a, a caffeine kind of pre-workout mix. Um, now, we know, um, or I'm hoping you know, that caffeine is a massive uh, performance stimulator. It's really, really beneficial for performance. And it's really, realistically speaking, it is the number one uh, performance supplement to, uh, in the short term, increase cycling performance. It's highly researched. Um, and for 99.9% .9 of individuals, it will uh, positively Im increase performance. Um, by a few different pathways, I won't go into it too much, but basically it masks fatigue. So uh, when without caffeine, you would perceive that you are at 9.5 out of 10 on the perceived effort scale. With caffeine, you'll only be at 8.5 out of 10 on the perceived effort scale. So naturally with caffeine, you can go a little bit higher, put uh, a little bit harder, sorry, put simply. Um, but also caffeine actually helps us um, utilize and assimilate carbohydrates a little bit better as well um, by by different uh, energy systems. So um, yeah, so ca caffeine is is a, is a good stimulant stimulant to have. Caffeine naturally peaks in the blood around anywhere between thirty and sixty minutes after after you've taken it, depending on what form you've taken it. Um, I just have it mixed in my drink in like a pre-workout drink. Um, so that takes roughly 30 minutes to kick in. So if you think my warm up is, uh, 30 minutes, well, when it, once I've started my warm up, I'm, I'm on the track in about 30, 35 minutes. It's just starting to kick in for the start of that race. Um, but the, the half-life is fairly long, so it'll last throughout the entirety of that race. Um, and it'll probably peak, you know, three quarters of the way through or towards the end of that race. Um, obviously, the only the only caveat to taking caffeine for evening races is that the half-life of caffeine is something like 12 hours, which basically means um, the caffeine will stay in your system for, for yeah, like I say, about 12 hours. And... Um, especially on big doses, which are big enough to massively increase performance. You know, just like I am this evening talking to you on the podcast at top quarter past 12, absolutely buzzing off my head still, I won't be asleep until half one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, luckily, I don't have any one booked in for bike fits or anything in the morning, so I can have a little bit of a lie-in, albeit I have got a a young child still so, so um so she'll still be probably wake me up but that that's the catch is that you often don't sleep very well with caffeine i'll just take a sip of my drink um 
but again this is different for everybody some people can have a big dose of caffeine and still fall asleep within a few hours i am not one of those people unfortunately um so specifically me now again this is very individual i have found out that about 250 milligrams of caffeine in that pre-workout drink is about optimal to prepare myself and to give me the best performance benefits now in the literature the literature actually suggests that i probably should have a lot more than that um but personally i've tried more than that and it does make me a little bit over overstimulated i can feel me rushing around and, and i don't feel i feel a bit mentally out of it because i'm overstimulated um obviously i have had certain coffees during the day so my baseline caffeine levels will already be at a certain level before i have that 250 milligrams of caffeine directly pre-performance um but yeah the facts the basic facts are for most of you listening, if not all of you listening, caffeine will increase your performance. For every individual out there, you have a different level of um, stimulation rate. Now, generally speaking, um, I would always recommend starting off at a lower dose. And then if that lower dose doesn't feel like it's doing much, then increasing it by small amounts each time. Roughly speaking, one coffee uh one strong coffee like a, a double espresso is roughly 75 milligrams of caffeine so if you consider that i'm having 250 milligrams of caffeine just before my event so that's roughly the same as uh four to five double espressos in one single drink um but uh but yeah and and obviously the thought of having four to five double espressos is uh is horrible <laughs> that wouldn't be very nice at all but the you can get it in much simpler forms so i have it in a drink you can have it in a tablet and and so on and so forth like you know you can have um for example not that i in, endorse any specific supplement companies but you can buy a a, a pill on my, my protein which gives you a 200 milligram hit of caffeine um which is a fairly big dose that for someone who doesn't have caffeine um especially for some of my younger listeners who don't drink tea or coffee you know you you really do need to be starting off at the lower doses you know a 50 100 milligram dose um and seeing how what that does to you before you go up to the bigger doses um but um but yeah so while i was warming up on the turbo on the rollers before my event i had 250 milligrams of caffeine and I had um, the equivalent of 25 grams of um, carbohydrates um, in the form of a drink, which I drank during my warm-up. Um, because I had that carbohydrates, I didn't opt for an energy gel. Um, I sometimes do. It depends how fueled I am going into the race, but uh, I didn't feel like I needed that energy gel. Um I think as a fail-safe, I could have done. It wouldn't have upset my tummy. Um, but realistically, sometimes if I take a gel or just before the start, sometimes I feel a little bit too sticky, a bit too sugary. And again, it's just in terms of sensation, I I don't... Um, I prefer not to feel like that. And if, if I know that I'm well-fueled because I've calculated it right and because 
I've got all of the, um, you know, I've been on it with my fueling, I've been on it with my pre, pre-race drink and so on, um, then uh, yeah, I know I don't need that extra gel. But it's something that you could consider. Um, during the race, if it's a 10 mile time trial, you know, a 20 or 30 minute effort, you don't need to eat anything. And to be honest, if it's a time trial, you shouldn't even be drinking anything because to drink something, you need to get out of your time trial position, compromise your aerodynamics. It's not worth it. Um, you could take a little bottle with you on a time, time trial effort like that and it's taking one of those, you know, sip if you need it kind of thing. Um, you, you, you will not need one physiologically, but sometimes psychologically it can give you a bit of a break psychologically um it can help you out a little bit physically you know sometimes you might get a dry throat or you've swallowed a fry and you just need a little bit just to 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 wet wet your throat a little bit um for me in a crit i do take a bottle on my bike um i only half fill that ball so it's a 500 ml bottle but i only half fill it about 200 250 ml um and it's just got real plain like orange squash in it nothing fancy whatsoever uh, no electrolytes, no carbohydrate solution, no nothing like that. It's literally just got plain orange squash, um, fairly uh, fairly weak orange squash, um, and and that's purely there just to wet my mouth now and again. You know, just to if I get a dry throat, just to just to just to sort that out. I'm not gonna dehydrate myself in a 45 minute crit. You're not gonna dehydrate yourself in an hour crit. Um, as long as you're appropriately hydrated going into the race, which you should be. So, you know, think about it as, you know, uh, sorting out the sensations. Um, but realistically, you know, it's doing not, not much for performance. Um, th that being said, there is something behind what we call a sugar swill. Um, and again, for a short duration effort like this, it's not necessarily going to have a benefit. But uh, to put it simply, there's certain receptors in the mouth, in the gums, in the the back of the tongue, which um, trick the brain into thinking that there's carbohydrates coming into the system, and basically give us a little bit more of a boost of energy. Um, it's not massive, um, but uh, if you're feeling a little bit fatigued in a crit um, and you've got a sugary solution in a drink, now if you actually drink that, obviously the sugar itself will take 15, 20 minutes to actually get to where it needs to be. But if you drink that and specifically swill it around your mouth before you swallow it, or you could even swallow, uh, sorry, swill it around your mouth and spit it out if you needed to, these sensors, these receptors in the mouth will actually trick your brain into thinking that there's that sugar coming in and therefore have the same or similar effect to what if you actually drunk it. Very interesting um, research. I think it's called sugar swill, um, and uh, and yeah, there is certainly some some very good research on that. Um, but yeah, for me, I just take plain orange squash just to sort out a dry mouth if I need it. 
I think it, during a, a 45 minute crit, I might have like four different sips on that just as and when it feels right. If there's a bit of a lull, um, I do take a backup gel in my pocket and I'm fairly confident that I'll never need that in a crit. Um, but I think it's, it, for, as an example, if I went off in an early break f two minutes into the start of a race and I had an hour crit and I knew it was going to be a frigging hard effort the whole whole way through, then potentially 15, 20 minutes into the race, I might take that gel just on the basis that if I'm in a break and I'm on the rivet the whole race, I'll be utilizing mopping up a lot more carbohydrates than if it was, you know, an intermittent race with some easy bits. So as a kind of fail safe, just to make sure I'm not going to burn, burn too many matches towards the end of the race, I'll pop that gel 20 minutes in and it'll just give me a little bit of a boost towards the end of the race. But that's it. That is how I would prepare for an evening race. Um, in terms of fueling, um, to summarize, don't stress too much about it in the early part of the day. If you've trained in the morning, take advantage of post-training uh, window to mop up as much carbohydrates as possible. Protein-wise, drip feed it throughout the entirety of the day, but rain down a little bit of it closer to the event. Refrain from too much fiber before the event and refrain from any red meat during that that day and then generally progressively increase carbohydrates very easily digestible carbohydrates as you get close to the event that's the best summary i can give um real quickly directly post event um i had a shake which had 50 grams of carbs in and 20 grams of protein in um ready for me and i consumed that within 30 minutes of finishing the the race i drank lots of fluids on the way home when i got home i had a shower and then i had a real simple scrambled egg on toast when i got home because to be honest it was what i fancied it's nothing too fancy um but uh, it hit the spot um and uh, and yeah, again, just just to just to catch back up on those calories that I've missed out after racing. I don't have a massive, massive appetite until a good few hours later. Um, so I needed something that was easy to digest and light on the stomach again, directly post race or a few hours of post race. It's not the time to be having something extravagant with lots of vegetables and lots of fiber and lots of meat and things like that because it you'll struggle to digest it because you your stomach shut down a little bit so eating something that's very simple and easy to digest is, is the way forward um just before i close this podcast i'm gonna answer um two uh, what have we got time for i'll just go for two different um questions here um because to be honest, some of the responses I got were shocking, <laughs> stupid questions. Some of the responses I got, I've already answered in this podcast. So, but but two of the questions stood out in terms of um, uh, two um, questions, which hopefully some of you can relate to, um, and you'll get something from. 
but they're not something that I've mentioned already in the podcast. So a quick sip of the drink. And let's get cracking. So first question I had was, um, how do you fit gym workout? Sorry, how do you fit gym work around high volume training, full time job and home life? Um, so this guy has uh, pointed that question at me specifically. So how do I fit in my gym work around high volume training, full time job and home life? To be honest, for me, um, the truth is, uh, I don't think I've got a very high volume training schedule. Now, you might, you know, um, full disclosure, you might look at my Instagram and think that I do a lot of volume training. I really don't compared to most cyclists that are my level. And I was talking to one of my mates at the event uh, this evening before the race, actually, about, about general training volume. Um, in terms of on the bike training, I genuinely, genuinely average something like six or seven hours, sometimes eight, nine hours a week. Um, and uh, every single week. So in terms of overall bike training, I don't actually do a very high volume, high volume week. Um, for me at the minute, I gym twice a week. Um, and yeah, to fit that around, um, around home life and my full-time job, um, I'm just very time efficient. Um, I appreciate I'm in a very privileged position in that I manage my own hours. So it means that um, I can manipulate my work hours and my training hours around each other. Um, and yeah, there's times when, you know, 90% of individuals will be at work in an office or and, and whatever, and I can go for a ride or I can go to the gym. But equally, I catch those those hours up at other times, like now. Um, now, to refine this question a little bit more, how do you fit in gym work around high-volume training? Um, I think he actually, let me just have a quick look. I think this guy sent me a message um, following the, 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 the question um, to just kind of... Um, yeah, there we go. He elaborated on it a little bit. He says it's the bit I know is. Yeah, so he's suggesting that the the strength training is the bit that he he realizes is missing from his training, um, is little and often better than trying to block out a one to two hour session, for example, or better to drop a bike session and do strength. Now strength training is always one of those things where a lot of clients or a lot of followers have asked me um, asked me about. The truth is, the genuine truth is, strength training is, is massive beneficial for cycling performance. But you have to be very savvy with how you fit that into your peerage year. For me as an individual, for me as an individual, I thrive off strength training. I really enjoy it. And I see massive benefits in performance from it. For me as an individual, I'm doing, you know, I'm targeting short, punchy crit races at the minute. And there's a big demand for a big, strong kick in crit, crit, crit races. Um, so the, the strength training that I do 
gives me a good top end peak power, for example, and a good sustainable 30 second power. And it also it has massive um, influences on my efficiency of cycling um, and, and things like that. But um, for most, most riders, it's not as simple as saying, okay, well, you should, you should always do two strength sessions a week every week or you, know, you should fit it out like this. For most riders, and, and this, this includes my coached uh, riders, I always um, generally recommend heavily prioritizing strength training in winter. So maybe having two to three strength training sessions in winter where you're really pushing quality. Because in winter, generally, the, the quality isn't as high on the bike. Um, so it gives you time to devote uh, this session, this these strength sessions in winter. As it comes to summer, the quality in the gym will, will go down a lot. Um, the, the volume of training and training time available in, in, in summer will go down a lot. So it might actually, for most people, it might look like in winter you've got two times one and a half hour strength sessions a week. But in summer, that's four times 15, 20 minute strength sessions, you know. And those strength sessions are mainly just mobility, going through movement patterns, working on any um, specific areas of um, of of weaknesses that you've got in your biomechanics, um, but you know, allowing the actual strength performance to drop a little bit. Like I say, it's completely dependent on where you're at, what time available you've got. Because if you're an individual whose training uh, time is is not restricted because you're an absolute pro, for example, <laughs> then obviously, yeah, you should be recovering well in between. You've got lots of training time available and you can do um, lots of strength training sessions. The only thing I will say on this, though, is is similar to what I did today. Now, I know that because I raced this evening... I'll be pretty tired tomorrow. So I'm probably going to have a rest day tomorrow or an easy spin tomorrow. So I also know that if I lift, I do a strength session in the morning, I personally feel good in the evening when I'm racing because the fatigue from that strength session hasn't um, hasn't come on yet. And it's kind of like a post-activation potentiation. So my, my my muscles feel stiffer and they feel ready to, to fire. That won't be the same for everybody. But I guess what I'm saying is today I fit in a strength session in the morning and a race in the evening. Um, so that is how I managed to fit in two very tough uh, days, tough strength ses uh, sessions. I will need a full day's rest tomorrow or a very easy day. But um, doubling up like that is a, is a way in which to fit in a lot of quality into your week. Um, and on the face of it, it looks like a lot of volume. Um, but, the, the, you know, again, the two, two fairly short sessions. I realize I'm really kind of babbling on a bit now. So I'm going to go through this last question and then I'm going to go on off offline. The last question I'm going to ask, answer is tips for not choking at the end of the race <laughs> so 
it's a client who asked, who's asked this, and to give you a bit of context, this client is very good at being at the punchy end of a race, uh, sorry, the, the punchy um, area of a race and um, asserting himself at the front of the pack for 90%, 95% of the race. But notoriously, when it comes to the end of the race, so the last one to two laps, um, he's never able to finish the race. And he always feels like at the end of a race, he is um, <clears throat> he's not given his few true potential you know he's always left too many too much in reserve um for this specific specific client you know what i would genuinely recommend you do something earlier than you're anticipating it too many people now and again i'm really um, talking to this client in, in particular here. So this this won't be relatable to a lot of you who are listening. But for this client in particular, I think that what you're doing is you are putting yourself in a position where you're so worried about going hard too early that you're um, procrastinating about lighting it up you're procrastinating you're <clears throat> you're waiting for everybody else to act and then for you to act off that you're spending too long thinking about that that it gets to essentially too rep too late it gets to too late in the race and, and by that point you can't do anything about it because you're all boxed in and people are coming flying past you so for you specifically without letting anything on to the other people who might be listening you, I think you need to just start your moves earlier. You need to be confident in the form that you've got, in the power that you can put down, in your cornering ability. And I think you need to go earlier. You need to be the the instigator. You need to be the person who 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 forms these moves and the guy that sets everything in light. Because to be honest, I know your kick, and I have faith in your power. So if you instigate these moves, I actually think you'll do a lot better than if you are doing what you're doing now, which is procrastinate and waiting for things to light up. And um, yeah, I think realistically, if you start too early, will you get past? Probably. Um, you might just, you know, solo to victory. You might not get somebody that's jumped on your wheel soon enough and you've, you've absolutely stormed it. Um, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> take, for example, the race that I won this evening. I saw one of my teammates go around the outside of me and I saw he was about to light it up. Now, I, as soon as I saw him kick, I responded straight away. I didn't even second guess it. Even though in the back of my mind, there was still about two thirds of a lap to go. And in the back of my mind, I thought that was a bit early. But as soon as I kicked on his wheel, I felt the momentum. And I thought, right, if I don't go straight through and kick hard now and take the lead, take the wind, I'm probably going to get swarmed. And would I rather go five seconds early and potentially get nipped off the line, get rolled at the last minute, or go five seconds too late and be swarmed and then 
try to come through and not manage? Well, I would always rather take the first option. So the thing is, when you've got your nose in the in the wind and you're out front, yes, you're swallowing more wind, but you've got no option other than to go absolutely full gas. And what I like about that is it's pure. It's you against the pack behind you trying to chase you. Um, and there's no hesitation. You've got to give 100% effort. You don't have to worry about the wheel in front of you or anything else. You just, or your lines, you just go as hard as you can. Um, so yeah, so to summarize, this guy who's just asked his question, go earlier, have faith in the form that we've created. And um, yeah, try and psych yourself up a little bit more before the race. Think about the finish. Don't think about as much about the rest of the race. Think about the finish and how you're going to play that. <clears throat> as you can hear, I'm getting really croaky now because after a hard evening's effort, my throat just tightens up. So it is quarter to one, for goodness sake. <laughs> I need to start winding down. So I'm going to stop the podcast there. I'm going to turn my screen off. I'm going to um, have a bit of a cuddle with my dog <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, hopefully get off to bed in the next half an hour or so. But um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Like I say, this is part one of a mini series that I'm creating, which is time to perform. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. I appreciate all the feedback that you've had, that I've had, and see you again next time. See you later.